I'm Alex Wong, and the Wong Takes start now. Okay, Pasa, it's March 27th, 2018, and the Wong Takes, it's episode number 38. Um, One announcement, I think, before we kick the show off. Uh, it's come on us quick, but the Major League Baseball season starts in two days, March 29th. I believe that's the Thursday. Um, that's actually the earliest opening day ever. So yeah, if you want to get started on baseball, uh, very, very excited. Uh, if I can find some, pinpoint some storylines, I might talk about it next week. But I've said this before, and I'll say it again. Baseball is kind of a tough sport to really uh, do shows like this with, where it's like, you know, you got to have hard-hitting Stories in baseball usually the day to day doesn't really have much of those. Of course, love talking about baseball. Uh, if I could do like every Giants game, I would, but uh, that's not feasible. So uh, either way, why don't we get started with the previously scheduled programming, uh, which is going to be for the third week in a row, and I don't think this surprise any of you, but we're going to talk about March Madness. So um, a phenomenal weekend of college basketball. Another phenomenal weekend. Uh, of the NCAA tournament. Uh, so, without further ado, let's go region by region and talk about wh- what happened. Uh, let's first talk about the most surprising team going to the Final Four, and that's going to be Loyola Chicago. Uh, what a story coming out of the South region. Uh, they had a tough road to get to the Final Four. They had to beat Nevada in the Sweet 16, who had come back twice. And yet Loyola was able to hold them off. Uh, I thought it was interesting that they actually had a third player that made a big shot for them, Marquez Towns. Marcus Towns? Uh, Clayton Custer hit the shot in the round of 32, and Dante Ingram hit the buzzer beater against Miami in the first game. So three players, three games, three huge shots. Um, And then in the Elite Eight, they had a dominating performance against Kansas State, which... Uh, even though it might not be the strongest of competition, of course, out of the top part of the South bracket, uh, it's still a good major conference team, and it's a nice win uh, for the Fighting Sister Jeans. Uh, now, this team is... They're going to have a tough time in the Final Four uh, because not only did they not have to play the strongest of competition uh, in this tournament, uh, I believe it's a 6 seed, then a 3 seed, but then a 7 and a 9 um, but there, there's not precedent is not on their side. History is not on their side. Uh, out of the six, nine, ten, and eleven seeds to get to the final four before, um, this team, none have gotten to the championship game. They've all lost in the final four. That includes uh, teams that we might have seen previously as better than this Loyola team, like the Syracuse of two years ago, or the VCU team from five years ago, or George Mason from I think it was eleven years ago. Um, and Loyola also, like I said, hasn't had to face the toughest of competition. Like, they got to avoid UVA, they avoided Arizona, they avoided Kentucky, uh, and then from their own side of the bracket, they avoided Cincinnati. So it's it's going to be interesting to see how they can handle a strong team like Michigan, and of course we're going to talk about that later. Um, but they're a really nice feel-good story. I think their coach, or uh, some one coach said it, in a press conference, it's like, in our time, in our society right now, this is a nice story that most everyone can get behind. This underdog team from a, a minor conference, or a mid-major conference at this point, uh, coming up and 
beating the big guys. Now, a side note, I'm a little bit salty because Kentucky didn't get to the Final Four. Um, only team in my Final Four that didn't get in there. Um, they had a clear path and they couldn't do it, but you know, whatever. Um, what what they did, what their loss did give us though, was a nine versus eleven matchup in the Elite Eight, which was the first time that uh, that seeding matchup had ever happened in the history of the tournament, which is kind of remarkable uh, if you think about it. Uh, I mean, the first time a nine and eleven would be able to meet would be in the Elite Eight, just based on how seeding works. Uh, so I guess it's not particularly surprising, but it's interesting, and it's also funny that we almost had it twice. If Florida State had done a few things better and beaten Michigan in their Elite Eight game, uh, we would have had Loyola and Florida State, which is another 9 versus 11 matchup. Uh, that would have been a statistical anomaly that would have been interesting. But uh, And then I guess what I'm going to talk about is kind of the legacy of this region. Um, this region is going to leave scars on bracketers for years to come. There's so much history made. First, there was a 16 upsetting a 1. And then no top four seed got to the Sweet 16 for the first time ever. And then an 11 seed got to the Final Four for, I think, this is the fourth time ever. Uh, and this opens up brackets, bracket filling out to a whole other level. I mean, before this year, no one was saying that a 16 was, or people were doubting that a 16 up seeds upset was ever going to happen. Now we might see people picking 16 seeds more often. Um, people normally, people are really wary on Cinderella's and... With the frequency we're starting to get them, as I mentioned, George Mason, VCU, Syracuse, um, this will be it'll be fun to see how people do this in the future. Okay, next is the Wolverines of Michigan escaping the West region. Uh, they have a fun path to the Final Four. I mean, they barely got past Houston in the second round. They need a buzzer beater, and yet they came right out and proved themselves uh, this weekend. They actually opened up a 24-point lead in the first half against Texas A&M uh, in the Sweet 16 with a flurry of threes. And that proved that what the potential of this team is is ridiculous, like many of the other teams in the Final Four. Uh, and then also their depth showed in the Florida State game, not only on offense, uh, but on defense. I mean, their star, Mo Wagner, struggled and had foul trouble, uh, but they were able to stay in it. Um, they got some of their other stars hitting big shots, like Duncan Robinson and probably my favorite name of the tournament, Muhammad Ali Abdurrahman. Um, I think Michigan will be a fun team to watch uh, in the Final Four against Loyola. Uh, they really seem to enjoy playing with each other. They really seem to like be a team that meshes, like most of these teams. Like Loyola, of course, does as well. Um, they also had a, a great moment at the end of the A&M game, I think it was. Uh, they walk on fresh. They had a freshman... It's a great story. C.J. Baird, look it up. Um, but he was a team manager, and then they added him at the start of the season as a walk-on, and then now he comes in at the end of a Sweet 16 game in garbage time uh, and hits a three and gets a huge reaction from the bench. And it's just delightful to watch. Um, the West region was not as chaotic uh, as the South region, of course, uh, and but it was still something of its own. I mean... Our Sweet 16 from this side was like the 9 seed Florida State, the 7 seed uh, Texas A&M knocking off UNC of all teams, um, and then the 4 seed Gonzaga and 3 seed Michigan. Uh, and this had some phenomenal games, uh, like the Houston game, the Xavier uh, Xavier Florida State game, the uh, even Gonzaga UNCG in the first round. Uh, like, I think this region, it would really be the talk of the tournament if it weren't for the South and all the chaos that happened there. Uh, this was this was a fun side to watch. 
let's hop over to the other national semifinal and look who will be playing in those. Uh, first off, the Wildcats from Villanova. Um, this team just is so loaded. Uh, they do- they've been really the only dominant team so far. Uh, they were able to beat West Virginia, pulling away late uh, relatively comfortably, uh, despite Press Virginia and all that entails and senior leadership with Devon, uh, Javon Carter on them. And they never really looked in danger in the Elite Eight. I mean, the Red Raiders kept it close, but like they never were able to pull, take the lead and like kind of really put pressure on Villanova. When it come down, came down the stretch, Villanova always had control, and that's something you want to be as the favorite. You want to be in control. You don't want to have to play from behind like Virginia did uh, in their first round matchup. So, I I don't just Villanova just having the senior leadership that has won a championship before, guys like Jalen Brunson or Dante Divincenzo, uh, those types. It really helps keep them kind of poised under pressure. They've already been in all of this this situation. They've been in the pressure of a Final Four. They've been in the pressure of a Sweet Sixteen. They know what it's like to have these high expectations lofted on you and you have to live up to them because, I mean, Villanova's probably been one of the most hyped teams of this tournament uh, up to now. So it's going to, and I think it's going to be really hard to beat Villanova because you're going to have to break through their defense. Not only do you have to keep up with one of the best offenses in the country for sure, um, but you're going to have to figure out how to beat Villanova. And what I think people are going to have to do is go on a run because with Villanova, if you just trade twos for threes and you just keep trading buckets, I mean, Villanova knows how to handle that. They're not going to have a problem with you. But if you can go on, like, say, a quick 8 nothing, 12 nothing run and put pressure on them, uh, they haven't really faced that yet, at least in the tournament. So more on this later, but I think Kansas is one of those teams. Um, the East Legacy, this was the most chalk region, meaning high seeds. Uh, the Sweet 16 was 1, 2, 3, 5. But despite this, I mean, it was still, I think, one of the more uneven regions. Like, no team really looked good enough to hang with Villanova. Like, Purdue and Texas Tech, they're they're on decent enough level, especially with Purdue's injury to uh, Isaac Haas, the center. I mean, they're not good enough to stay with the Wildcats. And I thought West Virginia might be able to, but they clearly weren't. Um, so... I think Villanova will have a good chance to win it all. I mean, this is a battle-tested team, both in years of experience and this season. So um, I think I think they'll be good going forward. Uh, meanwhile, uh, the last team filling out our Final Four, Rock Chalk Jayhawk, uh, in the Midwest. Kansas was a good, good team in the Sweet 16. They were able to dominate Clemson for most of the game. Uh, and... Then there was the Elite Eight. Uh, the Kansas-Duke game, we'll talk about that a little, it might have been the best game of the tournament, or at least second best behind the Michigan-Houston game, both in terms of how large of stakes there were, which is a Final Four berth, and getting to play for one more weekend, uh, and also just the, how close the game was virtually the entire game. Um, it made for incredible entertainment. Like, just it was just back and forth, back and forth. No team could imagine me in the Michigan Houston game. Like no team could open up a lead of like more than six, and when they did, come right back. Um, I think the key for Kansas was being able being able to limit uh, Duke. Many of Duke's star players, like Grayson Allen, uh, only had like ten points, I think, 
Uh, and Kansas got key stops when they needed to at the end of the game, like when they were down three and needed a stop. They got it and came back, hit a three on the other end, tie game. Uh, speaking of those that clutch three, Svee Mikhailuk, one of their uh, most te- longest-tenured players, he showed some mental toughness too, hitting a clutch three after he missed a few. Um, and then one of their other players, Malik Nelson, a uh, phenomenal athlete, uh, he can really stroke it from three, and he showed some leadership in overtime, putting up Kansas' first nine points of the period, uh, including a three at one point to give them a three-point lead, and that was their first lead in a while. And that was, it was truly a clash of heavyweights. I mean, back and forth, bucket after bucket, uh, someone hit the Buffalo Wild Wings button, sent it to overtime, and Grayson Allen's shot, it like went, almost went in the rim twice, uh, and it still somehow bounced out. It was like divine intervention. Um, but I think Kansas will be much better off for this game, especially considering they're going to have a six-day rest uh, before they have a six-day rest before their next game with Villanova. Um, they're going to be re- really ready to go, go into battle for forty plus, possibly forty plus minutes. Um, and Duke was by far the best team they played in the region, so it was a good test for Kansas to kind of ramp up their competition before meeting the Blue Devils. Another takeaway from this game, Marvin Bagley, he was really impressive in this game. Um, he should be a high school senior right now. Like, he reclassified to join college, and he is an amazing athlete. Not only is, can he play down low and, and bully ball you, really, um, but he can stretch out the defense and hit threes. Uh, I think he hit a three in this game right when Kansas started to take momentum. And it's just remarkable what he can do. And that's the type of athlete that's going to translate into the pros. Like, if you, can, if you can spread the floor and play down low, no one's going to be able to stop you in the pros. Um, now, the Midwest region takeaways. Uh, this, was probably the most, this was probably the strongest region, top to bottom, most even region. I mean, I didn't really expect that coming in, but like Clemson turned out to be a really phenomenal team. Um, and Auburn was a good team as well. So, and this was also really the only region where we were able to get a matchup between blue bloods. Like, no, we didn't see any humongous marquee matchups in the other sides, but this one, we got Kansas Duke before that we got Duke and Syracuse. And before that we got Michigan state and Syracuse. So those are like four of the biggest names in college basketball. Um, and we got to see them play each other. And then Kansas is going to be ready for San Antonio uh, after getting through this region. All right, let's preview the final four. We're 15 minutes in. Uh, First off is the Loyola-Michigan game. So um, I think Michigan matches up pretty well with Loyola. I mean, this is a really strong defense that can hold Loyola shooters in check. Uh, You've got an offense that is explosive. They can really space out the floor, and we've seen them make runs. Um, And you can see they can suffocate teams if they get hot. But Loyola isn't scared of anyone, hasn't been scared of anyone, and they're going to be ready for Michigan. They're going to be prepared. Uh, Their coach talked about, like, these guys just, it's a cliche, but, like, they're looking toward the next game and only toward the next game. And that's the strength of theirs. Um, I think this game is going to be closer than people are thinking. Um, I think the Vegas line is 5.5, which to me sounds about right, in favor of Michigan, of course. Um... But Michigan, I think, is going to have too much potential to be or to beat Loyola, too much firepower. Um, 
if if Loyola wants to win this game, how can Loyola win this game? Uh, even though history's not on their side, but they've been breaking history all the time, and this tournament has as a whole. Uh, if they want to win, they're going to have to attack down low because, like, Michigan doesn't have a dedicated center really on their roster. Well, they do, um, but their starting lineup doesn't. Um, they're going to have to hope Michigan shooters have an off night like they did against Florida State, but also be able to penetrate against the defense, uh, which is going to be tough. So that's the first game. And now the second game is probably the game that I want to talk about a little more, is the Villanova-Kansas game. Uh, this is, I think is clearly a stronger matchup, just given the potential of the teams. And also they're both one seeds. Um, both of these teams have really deadly three-point shooters. Because uh, they can, and that means they can survive not having. A, if one shooter doesn't have a good night, the rest of the team can step up. Phenomenal squad. Uh, and it's going to come down to, I think, because of this, who can win inside. Um, Udoka Zabuki, Kansas's center. We saw during the weekend, if he is not in foul trouble, he doesn't have to play hindered at all. What a beast he is! Uh, if he has a good night, Kansas has like a consistent source of offense. If they ever, if the offense ever becomes stagnant, just feed it into Azabuki. Let him run your offense. Even if he's just posting up for five seconds, see if you can find someone, if you can draw on the defense or whatever. And also, I thought it was interesting. They, had a, they did a really good job in the Duke game, breaking down Duke's zone with LeGerald Vick, who's one of their talented guards. He acted as kind of the quarterback, where he just stood in the middle of the zone and... If they were just passing the ball around the outside, feed it to him, let him either give it to Azabuki, take a little floater, which he's got to take, or if the defense collapses, like uh, in overtime, he found Malik Newman in the corner, dagger three. So if he if he's able to do this again uh, against Villanova's zone and find open men against like these swarms of Villanova players, then uh, Kansas is going to be able to get offense, get anything they want all night. Um, and that's what they're going to have to do to win. Plus, uh, Villanova doesn't have any like marked centers on their roster, um, so this can be a disadvantage if their traditional strong defense that they normally have, where it's just pressure, 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 blitz, 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 like get the ball. Um, <laughs> if if that breaks down, then they're gonna have trouble stopping Azubuki and Silvio De Sosa and those players. Uh, so that's gonna be a fun matchup to watch. I also think foul trouble is going to play a big role in this one, which you, you hate to see that. But the way the whistles have been blowing during this tournament, I think it might happen. Uh, Udoka Azubuki fouled out against Duke, uh, which was a big loss for them going into overtime, even though they did end up winning it. Um, and they can't afford to lose him for significant stretches again. He's too valuable to their team, especially with a team where you really have no margin for error uh, in Villanova. So that's the, oh yeah, no, uh, schedule before I sign off on this topic. Uh, the Final Four is on Saturday. First game is at 309 Pacific, 609 Eastern. Uh, Loyola Chicago versus Michigan. TBS is your national broadcast. TNT is if you're a Michigan fan. And True TV if you're a Loyola Chicago fan. And then I think it's like half an hour after that game. Uh, it's right now scheduled for 549 Pacific. Villanova versus Kansas. TBS National Broadcast, TNT if you're a Kansas fan, and True TV if you're a Nova fan. And the National Championship game will take place on Monday, a day before we record, at 6.20 Pacific, 9.20 Eastern, on TBS. So there you go. College basketball is about to wrap up. It's sad, but it's going to be a great Final Four. All right, next for today, 
uh, is we're going to touch a bit because the NBA season's winding down. Uh, the many teams have 10 games or fewer left on the schedule. So let's take a look at what we've got. Um, let's go to the Eastern Conference first. It's been a wild year, to say the least, in that conference. But right now, and it looks like it will remain for the playoffs, Toronto is the one seed with Boston right behind them, three games back, and Cleveland, ten games back, or nine and a half, sorry. Um, Toronto is going to have an interesting matchup, whoever they end up playing, whether that be Miami or Milwaukee. Um, Miami, with Dwayne Wade back, has been an interesting bunch, and Milwaukee, of course, has Giannis. So I would be wary if you're in Toronto. Um, They're going to end up winning that series, most likely. Um, But... It's not going to be easy. I wouldn't be surprised if that ends up going to a game six. Um, Boston, meanwhile, same deal. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, they've gelled really pretty well this year, considering all the new pieces. Um, and they're, I think they're going to be a dangerous team. I think both of those squads could end up posing a threat to the number three seed, uh, Cleveland. If Cleveland has to end up like going through the gauntlet uh, and playing Boston and then Toronto in order to get to the finals... I'm not. I don't think they will be able to do that and get to a what would it be now a fifth straight finals and break LeBron's streak of getting to finals. Of course, they may prove me wrong, um, but Cleveland is a really interesting case study. It after they've gotten Kevin or since they've gotten Kevin Love back, uh, they've they're four and zero. They've scored 120 at least in each 120 points at least in each game. Now, of course, their problem usually isn't their offense; it's their defense. But nonetheless, they are undefeated since K-Love came back. And he brings another dimension to their team that I think we kind of forget about. Uh, The team they had before him is drastically different from the team they have after him, just with the way that he can grab rebounds, kind of hold teams to one shot per possession, uh, and then, of course, get out and run and space out the floor and have a three-point weapon open up the inside. All the things that a good three-point shooter can do. Um, And... It's going to be fun to see them in the playoffs when they're back at their full form. Because when they're fully healthy, they still have LeBron, and they're still a really dangerous team. Um, Meanwhile, another story out of the East, uh, Philadelphia is in the four seed right now, the Sixers. They've already clinched a playoff spot, so they're going to be in the playoffs. Um, And considering they've gotten Markel Fultz back, now that's going to be a fun story. If his jump shot hits... That's a piece that they've practically pretty much been missing out of their young guys. Like Ben Simmons cannot shoot famously. Joel Embiid doesn't shoot. He plays on the inside. Or he can, but he he doesn't like or doesn't want to probably. Uh, So if Marco Fultz can bring explosive power in the outside, that's great for Philadelphia. And makes them match up well with um, most any team. Another team, Indiana, despite Paul George leaving, has hopped into the fifth seed and clinched the playoff spot. Another fun team. So this, I think the East, even though it's been uh, uneven in recent years, it's starting to get up there with the West in terms of good quality teams. Um, And all these teams really look more than likely to have a shot to get to the second round. Let's hop over to the West. Um, Houston has opened up a large gap over Golden State. Uh, Five and a half games, as a matter of fact. and. That has partially to do with, actually has pretty much everything to do with, uh, one, Houston staying hot, and two, Golden State being very, very injured. Uh, Right now, 
Stephen Curry, Kevin Durant, Draymond Green, and Klay Thompson, their four All-Stars, are all out due to injury. Uh, and they should get almost all those players back before the playoffs. Um, Steph Curry recently tried to come back and then got injured when JaVale McGee fell and injured his knee, or his MCL, I think. So he'll be out for probably the first round of the playoffs, and that's a big blow for them. Uh, but they're going to get their stars back, and they should be able to win in the first round, but it's going to be a tough matchup no matter who they play. I mean, Minnesota or Utah um, will probably be who they end up playing, or even uh, Denver they might see. And those are all dangerous teams. Uh, Utah's had the Warriors number before. Uh, Rudy Obert is a guy that matches up well with the Warriors, and for some reason they always seem to have trouble with Utah. Uh, Minnesota has a bunch, even though they just lost to Memphis, who got their first road win of the calendar year um, in Minnesota last night. But Minnesota still has Carlton Towns, Andrew Wiggins, and uh, Jimmy Butler. Uh, I'm not sure if he's going to return from injury in time. Um, but those are talented guys, and they can beat the Warriors. Uh, Denver, the altitude is never an easy team for a road squad coming in, and all they need to do is slip up once at home, uh, and then that Denver would have the advantage, pretty much. Uh, so, yeah, none of those teams are going to be cakewalks for Golden State, or Houston, as a matter of fact, uh, who's having a phenomenal year, only 14 losses. Um, meanwhile, some other stories from the conference, because it kind of drops down from there. Um, Portland, uh, I think Portland, like I said, is last week or two weeks ago, is one of the teams that can beat the Warriors. Uh, they're, they're, they're a fun team to watch. Um, San Antonio, the Spurs are probably not going to get their 50th win, uh, breaking their streak of like almost two decades. Uh, but they're still a talented team, even though I don't know when Kawhi Leonard's coming back. Uh, yeah, but like I said, uh, we're starting to see more parity between the East and the West. I mean, the eighth seed in the East is 15 games back from Toronto, while the eighth seed in the West is 18 and a half games back from Houston. And this, in the area of this era of the super team, which kind of mar- marks a a new era in the NBA, it's time to like de- it's it's now time to like demarcate the conferences uh, and reconstruct what we think of them. And I think Houston and Golden State rising to the top like this, and maybe Oklahoma City if they can gel, uh, they can retain all of their stars. We're gonna start to see them kind of rise to the top of the division pretty far. Um, but that's the NBA talk the NBA landscape. Uh, let's do one fan question next. Uh, this is from Devin. Shout out to Devin. Uh, where, he asks, where will Odell Beckham Jr. end up? Yeah, so recently uh, Giants, uh, I forgot, I think it's GM, uh, John Mara said that none of the players are untouchable. In other words, we're willing to trade Odell Beckham. Uh, they don't want to trade him, but they are willing to if they can get the right package back. Um, I think he'll end up with the Giants just given his price. Uh, he's worth so much. He's, he's of course, an extremely talented guy. Um, but given his price, it's going to be tough for him to find a proper suitor that both the Giants and that suitor will like. Um, as if he had to go somewhere, maybe I would say Cleveland. Uh, considering his old LSU teammate Jarvis Landry is there and his a- is actively recruiting him, um... I think he would be an interesting fit there. You know, if you if you are lacking at quarterback, you need to make up for it in wide receiver, and they can both do that on the outside. Uh, being able to break down defenses by forcing you to guard both of them really tightly uh, would be tough. Plus, the Browns, of course, are famous for having a ton of assets. 
uh, first and fourth round pick this year. I do not. I still do not think that they will have both of those picks by the time they come around during the draft. Um, and then just an endless pile of assets that they can give up to the Giants, who are rebuilding now at this point. Uh, they're on. They're witnessing Eli Manning's decline, uh, and they're going to be wanting to rebuild starting in maybe this year or a few years from now. So, and they had second worst record in the league last year. So. Uh, yeah, that's my thoughts on Odell Beckham Jr. Now, let's get to the quick take. Yeah, so this sounds almost like, it's almost like the tabloid stuff at this point. Um, but the Spurs, they're known for being an island of stability, uh, at least with Greg Popovich in place. But yet, there have been reports that came come out, have come out about, like, you know, Kawhi Leonard and his teammates really having a rift with Kawhi's injury and the timetable that's been really uncertain. Uh, and yet, here's a source saying, uh, or Sean Elliott, an ex-Spur, who said that Kawhi Leonard's relationship with Greg Popovich is fine. Uh, I don't think the Spurs will have a problem. I think as soon as Kawhi comes back, we're going to forget about all of this. Um, but in the meantime, it, it's weird that you don't normally see this from them. Um, and I think Kawhi's and Greg Popovich is going to... Greg Popovich understands what Kawhi's going through, probably. Um... And he's going to act like nothing's wrong. Uh, but he's he's going to know that it's going to take some time for Kawhi to come back. Uh, and it's not going to be the same in the meantime. All right. That's the quick take. Uh, thank you so much for listening as always. Uh, how can I mix this up? Eh, I can't really mix this up. Uh, don't forget to check out everything. Check out, email us, bit.ly slash the long or sorry, the long takes at gmail.com unfocused right now uh check out the website bit.ly slash the long takes as always full archive of the show on there updates whenever stuff is happening plus uh you can send questions directly from there if you don't feel like logging on to the old email uh and also the patreon patreon.com slash the long takes we have really nice links uh, i think we take that for granted a little bit uh just given that this is a unique name i think i did that on purpose i like to say that i did that on purpose uh, rate the podcast, subscribe, download, up the stats of this podcast, rate it, iTunes, Google Play. Thank you so much for listening, and I will see you next week.